Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me, as always, is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics over at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Crisson. How you doing, brother, down there in Florida? DK's favorite place to be. <laughs> Gary, how's the weather in the 412 right now? I, I know you got a window in that room. Take a look real quick. What's it looking like? Uh, it's pretty nice, man. It's like it's like sixty degrees and sunny. Sixty? Oh my! So, you got it better up there yeah. than I do down here. It's it's rained. <laughs> yeah. It's rained every second since I landed. Since the plane touched the even before the plane touched the ground, when we hit the atmosphere, yeah. the stratosphere, and you know we got below the clouds. It rain. It has not stopped. It's been gray for seventy two hours in this town. Uh, it's gray for the Seminoles, and it's sunny skies for Pitt. Very symbolic is what I was going at. I was going to wax poetic <laughs> about that. But, yeah, hit with Absolutely, another win, 83-75 over the Seminoles. I'm here in Tallahassee still, so let's do it, Gary. Let's get right into it. Yeah, so, Corey, we were talking a little bit beforehand, and I told you I think what I want to start out with is the emergence of Federico Federico because at the beginning of the season we talked about, like, they really didn't have that big man presence. And and for most of the season, we watched that play out. The guards really had to step up. We've watched them go with small lineups to try to work around it, try to work the twins in. But Federico Federico has turned into something now. He's a block machine, and he's rebounding really, really well. Still not as strong as he needs to be underneath, but Man, he's starting to make an impact. And you can see they're starting to design plays for him now. So that takes Pitt from just a good basketball team to a potentially dangerous tournament team. Jamarius Burton said this that stood out to me after the game about not just Federico, but also the Twins. We can loop the Twins, Guillermo and Jorge, into this as well. Okay, So Federico... Eight points, two of five from the field. He makes all four of his free throws. 13 total rebounds, seven offensive, six defensive. He blocks three shots. He's been a machine around the rim, like you said, on the defensive end. But this is the key thing that Jamarius told us after the game about Federico. And again, the Twins tied in, but mainly about Federico here. At the beginning of the year, there was the concept of 
Again, John Hughley played eight games to start the year and obviously went through what he went through, was injured also. Now he's obviously out of the equation. So Federico gets that starting spot over at center. And it took time. Remember, this team didn't get to come together fully until August. They were a late-blooming team. They were late to get together as veterans. And Federico didn't really have that rapport quite yet, obviously, built with Burton and Elliott and Hinson and Nelly as shooters. The art of grabbing rebounds. And any great rebounder has said this in interviews. You could go back and look at interviews of, you know, Dennis Rodman, Charles Barkley, Ben Wallace, whoever comes to your mind when you think of great rebounders. They say it's about tendency, position, and knowledge. You have to have a certain amount of knowledge to be a good rebounder. You have to know JB likes to shoot the ball from this spot. When he shoots the ball from this spot, he tends to make it or miss at this spot in the most likely case. And Burton broke that down really nicely for us after the game and talking about Federico knows that Burton will pull up from, you know, mid range on the, on the left elbow or, you know, a a three pointer from the top of the yard or a corner three. Maybe it is for Greg. If he doesn't make it, where does it miss? And from where does it miss? Where does it land? Where is it going? You could see that in the last handful of games you saw this at North Carolina too when it came down to essentially neutralizing Armando Baycott he has been in such good position this is on both ends of the floor now offensively defensively with rebounding and shot blocking for that matter and I don't want that to get lost and just where he's been able to play and that has added so much like you said it's another layer the the whole theme of the game story that I wrote from this win. It's another way they can beat you. It's about different yeah. ways. You don't have to rely on Jamarius Burton to score 30. Blake Henson doesn't have to post 20 a game. He doesn't have to grab 10 rebounds a game. Federico is now solidified as one of the best centers in the ACC, quite frankly, just with the way he's playing. He's not the household name. He's not the Armando Baycott. He's not the Kyle Filipowski. But he's playing really damn good basketball as of late. And this is another reason, like you said, and like we're talking about, that Pitt is just becoming more dangerous as the season grows. And you could tie that in with Guillermo and the minutes he played today as well. Jorge played four key minutes down the stretch of the first half and had a steal. And then that leads into talking about Nike and obviously his heroics in the second half here. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things that I've noticed in the last few games, and and it's that there's stretches in, in these games where things don't go right. You know, the shoot, the balls aren't falling. They're not getting clean looks. They, maybe the opposition changed up the defense and it's kind of confused the offensive sets a little bit. That time that it takes for them to diagnose and fix it without having Capel to have to have a call timeout or anything like that. It, it, these guys are playing smart basketball they really are i mean today a little foul trouble and then you you saw them just almost on their own shift entirely to a different kind of defense and 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 they were more patient with with even going for the ball i just love watching them throughout a game evolve 
They don't have to just do any one thing. So how do you defend that? You brought up Jeff Capel, and we'll expound on this later, but this was another game where Jeff Capel outcoached his counterpart as well, especially in that second half. And like you said, with the moments that Pitt had to kind of get it together right away, you know, kind of in moment, next possession, they say, you know, that, you know, four round, or, uh, they say that uh, 10 round mentality, if you will. And there were moments in this game where it was either going to be a big bucket from Pitt or a big bucket from Florida State that jump started it. And then if the other team went down and missed and the other team came back and scored, basically it felt like. Whoever was going to go up by two possessions towards the end of the game was going to win the game because there were points where there were just struggles in between each team. Nobody was really finding ways to separate. Quite frankly, Pitt didn't look its best in the first half either. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, the, the crux of my game story was about Nike and him coming off the bench for that instant offense and instantly making an impact on both ends of the floor. And by the way, Capel said Nellie Cummings is playing hurt. He felt good enough to go today. He played the Louisville game with an injury. He he had that three-pointer um, in the first half where he fell. And I think that was an yeah. issue just like with the quarter shoe or whatever. But he got up and continued in the game. But Nellie's not at 100%, so they needed Nike to step up. They needed guys to step up off the bench. And the moments that, for me, dictated who was winning the game were when Nike was on the floor. They, they went to him for that instant impact offense. And I'm not saying he was the, the end-all, be-all problem solver for that reason that you talked about, for the reasons of making those on-the-fly adjustments. But you could tell Jamarius Burton, Blake Henson, all the guys that were on the floor knew Nike was coming in to – be that boost that they needed. Nobody, nobody in this game really felt, let me rephrase. It didn't really feel like at any given point until Nike kind of took over that little stretch in the second half where we could definitively say, I think Pitt or I think Florida state's going to win that Nike was the deciding factor in that, in this basketball game. See, we got to take a break, but we're on a roll. Um, I See, I have to say it was the Burton three buckets in a row. That really felt to me like the turning point where Pitt took over. But, yeah, I can make an argument for Nike, too, now that you mention it. Let's take a quick break. Let's come back and talk about all the coaching that has to go into getting that brains on the court to happen. Back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you. And Corey, I kind of want to talk about a little bit of how we got here. I don't want to do a whole deep dive into history, but, you know, I think a lot of fans were really frustrated with Jeff Capel over these four years, you know, that, that Pitt's been so bad under his watch. And, you know, everybody, I think, went into this season thinking this was crucial. You know, it's got to figure it out now. And then, you know, 
just read another piece on on Heather Like the other day from SI. I know you've written one too. People should check that out. It, it's it details very well what Heather Like has done here too. But I think maybe that's why she was so patient, man. Because what she walked into was almost as bad as what she was asking him to walk into after Stallings. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just about it. Keep in mind, Heather Like has more fish to fry, so to speak. She has a, you know, highly grossing football program to worry about as well that in 2018 was looking to take that next step, right? And of course, in 2021, they're able to do that. Pit basketball was quite frankly nowhere in 2018. And that is just the start of looking at all of these programs at Pitt that really weren't, dare I say, anywhere. I mean, there weren't many winning programs on this campus until Heather Light got here. Now there are many winning programs on this campus. And, you know, in my conversation with Heather at the North Carolina game, this was, you know, a week and a half ago now by this point, two weeks ago. She mentioned how the Olympic sports, the non-revenue sports, the number one thing that stood out to her was volleyball and how you're seeing trickle-down effects come from that. Football, there's an inherent expectation to win. Basketball, there's an inherent expectation to win because, conventionally speaking, you're getting a lot of donor money for either program. People are putting money into that. The university is putting money into that. That's just the expectation of it. But the fact that Pitt has been able to, and Heather Like has been able to, hire the right personnel to take these programs you know, even even going down to women's lacrosse, which just started its second season with um, Emily Bosanal as their head coach. You know, they win an ACC tournament game last year in their first inaugural season. Like it's it's just this instinct. It's a, almost like a sixth sense, if you will, of right. of finding the right people, getting the right character, having an idea of what a pit administrator or a pit coach or a pit assistant, or what it needs to be, having that vision and how it fits that mold. And she's obviously had amazing mentors along her career as well that have helped her along the way. And I detailed a little bit of that in my story. And, you know, sometimes the old adage goes, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Pitt had a lot of weak links when they were here. There's not so many of those now. There's obviously a couple that that's going to happen. But this resurgence of the basketball program is, is another footnote in this entire operation that is just on this meteoric rise under Heather like. And, you know, the man that's going to be tasked with being in charge of that, I mean, he knows right now he's, he's got a lot of rental pieces, right? So this year's this year, we can all enjoy this season and love it and everything. It's going to be up to him to keep it on the rails and keep it moving in the right direction, right? That's Jeff Capel. Now, I think he's had a great season. How good has it been, Corey? I mean, really. He has to be, just on a first glance and on a first thought, he has to be the favorite for ACC Coach of the Year as we sit here. National Coach of the Year is a whole nother ball game to go into. I mean, you have 363 coaches to decide from in that pool. I mean, you got to think Brad Brownell is probably in that, 
right? I mean, I mean, Clemson is not a traditional team to be at the top of the ACC, even though they just got their clocks cleaned by North Carolina. So let's put it this way, okay? Pitt has six games left. They are now eighteen and seven and eleven and three in the ACC. Let's say, for the sake of conversation, they go five and one in these final six. That will put them to end the year at twenty three and eight. And sixteen and four within the ACC, which would be blowing out of the water any other year he's had here at Pitt. Absolutely. There are eleven ACC wins right now. Tie the program mark for ACC wins, and that came in the first year they were here under Jamie Dixon. The program has has not been in a better spot since two thousand sixteen, when they last made the NCAA tournament. Pitt has not been ranked since 2016 when they made the NCAA tournament, and that should change pretty soon here. They're basically 30th right now in the AP. They're this close to breaking the top 50 in the net. All of the metrics are starting to come around on Pitt. They're not there quite yet, but they're starting to come around on them. But on the eye test, I keep coming back to this, and we talked about this last week when it came to this big discussion about the net rankings. There are still human brains deciding some of this stuff. And based on the eye test of the quality of wins Pitt has pulled out, no team has a better record in quadrant one games than Pitt in the ACC. I had another comment on this net rankings because uh, just our conversation last week made me go and look into them a little deeper. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I think what I came away with thinking is it doesn't, reward well-roundedness you know if you are a well-rounded team like that doesn't do any one thing spectacularly but does everything well Mm -hmm. it doesn't hit you the way it does if you have something spectacular Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i get that i think like they almost lose something there a little bit in some of those numbers regardless I, I think it's going to become self-evident here at some point. They're leading the ACC. You can't let that go on for weeks on end and not rank them at some point. You know, At this point, the conversation is not, is Pitt an NCAA tournament team? We're past that by this point. Barring anything from this point forward in the final six games, barring anything catastrophic, right? Boston College, Tuesday yeah. at home. At Virginia Tech, that's a tough one. The two toughest games they have – to close the season are at Virginia Tech next Saturday and at Miami to close the regular season March 4th, right before the ACC tournament. Those are the two toughest games remaining on the schedule. And obviously... You're no longer worried about that Notre Dame game, the goodbye game? Eh, you never know. I mean, you never know. You know, all the, all the yeah. legends are going to be there. But point is, barring anything catastrophic, Pitt's in the NCAA tournament by this point. I, I think it's just foregone. And we're at the stage of talking about what seed are they going to get? Are they going to get a seven, an eight, a nine, a 10, 11, whatever it is? I mean, yeah. and especially keep in mind with the structure of the ACC tournament, what if they get a double bye and they're automatically in the quarterfinals? Then we're talking about yeah. a game on, I believe it would be Thursday of the tournament and not playing on Tuesday and having two extra days of rest and having the potential to actually win the ACC tournament. I mean, there are still many more layers to uncover with this pit team, but the position they're in right now, it's it's nothing like we have seen since the Dixon days. It just isn't. So you really do think that he's got a shot? For coach of the year? 
Yeah. In the ACC, absolutely. I, I, I would put him as the favorite, and I'm going to write more about this for Sunday. I would put him as the favorite because, again, with the expectation of they were voted 14th in the league, he had to put a whole new roster together, essentially. And then he loses three scholarship players for two for personal reasons, one for injury. And then he has to reconfigure. And then he has to beat North Carolina twice, Virginia, Miami, could beat him twice. Uh, Wake Forest could beat Virginia Tech. You know, I just I, I think that, you know, Brad Brown, all no disrespect, obviously, over at Clemson. They had a great year, but they've had their fair share of dips in the ACC now. If Pitt wins the ACC regular title, I think he's a lock to win the coach of the year in, in the ACC. I, that's I my opinion. That's, I think that's probably a great way to put it. I, th- I agree with you mm-hmm. there. So we should probably take another quick break, come back. we got to talk about another game that happened this week. There's no way we're going to avoid talking about that Louisville game. Welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. We said we have to talk about the Louisville game because that was an epic smackdown. 91 to 57. Your University of Pittsburgh basketball team beat Louisville Cardinals. Yeah, they're terrible this year, but I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. That was awesome to watch. Absolutely total decimation from the beginning. They left them no room to do anything. They left them no path to success. It didn't matter who they put on the court. Jeff Capel tried to take his foot off the gas, and his backups couldn't stop scoring. I mean, you had the the Diaz Graham brothers shooting threes, brother. (laughs) The three as Grams. (laughs) You know, and I think Jorge missed his only one. I don't think we've had a game this year where Guillermo and Jorge have made a three in the same game. I have to double check that um, off the top of my head. I'm trying to rack my brain about this Louisville game because not only was it very easy to tune out of that. um, Pitt, like you said, just absolutely destroyed them. And I don't know if that says more about Pitt or more about Louisville. Let's start with Louisville because their program is just in the toilet right now. And you can thank Chris Mack and Rick Pitino for that. You know, NCAA violations, it's all researchable. I feel bad for Kenny Payne in a way. And um, this this program is going to have to take years to recover. I mean, this is not a – unless something magic happens like Jeff Cable did with the portal. Yeah. They could do crazy things in the portal uh, and be right uh, back in but, it. And I year. feel like what Capel did with this year's portal in finding that recipe is a rare occurrence to have. So, but back to Louisville. You know, scoring 57 points in a college basketball game is one thing. But what happened with them, just after the first four minutes of the game where Pitt just knew it had another gear, it wasn't even close. It wasn't even competitive. Forget about the fact yeah. that KJ Marshall, a walk-on, played at the end of the game in a conference game in the ACC. You know, this is only the worst of it, you know, when it comes to the ACC. 
when you're a team like Pitt, who is teetering on the good side of the bubble for now, but you know, on, uh, still around the figurative NCAA tournament bubble, you have to put teams in the ground that are this bad. And that's exactly what they did. They didn't take their foot off the gas. I mean, I, you saw the game story I wrote thir- Wednesday. I, I didn't know what angle to take for a 40-point beatdown, so I went Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> it, well, yeah, oh, I, 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 I loved it, first of all. Like, <laughs> hearing the theme song at the beginning was, was awesome. Yeah. I didn't mean that to I, disrespect I Louisville, but that's just what it no, felt but like. I, I thought it was handled respectfully. I really did. Okay. They, I felt like he, he tried to pull – as many of those starters as he could, you know, um, it was, I thought respectfully done. He just doesn't have a very deep bench that he can go to reasonably and expect them to give anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you start seeing him popping in KJ Marshall and Aiden fish and, you know, Jorge's is getting, 12 minutes of basketball time on the, you know, it's you're dipping about as low as you can, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, I felt like he did the best he could to keep them from running it up, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I don't think I mentioned this. It's kind of sad to see a legacy team like Louisville down this bad. Though. I don't think I mentioned this before, by the way. And if I didn't, I apologize, but I, I'm Aiden fish is on scholarship. Now, um, Capel awarded him a scholarship for this season. This was um, about a week and a half ago now, so my bad for if I, if I missed that note, but makes that 10 scholarship players now for Pitt. And, uh, but still, you know, former walk-on, I guess you could call him still, and he got to play towards the end of the game. When, when you're Pitt and you want to make a statement and you want to prove that we're for real and legit, this is the stuff you have to do. Maybe not by 40 but you have to beat them pretty good, and you have to be yeah. convincing about it. And they and that was mission accomplished on Wednesday or Tuesday, excuse me. And I'd say that I'd say like they continued because that's probably enough, you know, bashing of Louisville. Really, <laughs> I mean, they are what they are. Mm-hmm. They got an appropriate beat down from the top of the division to the bottom of the division. That's really what happens in this league. Pitt has been doing it for four years, so we're certainly familiar with it. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I think they kind of continued that pretty handily beating the Seminoles. And it got scary because they weren't shooting. (laughs) But they ended up just staring it down. I think that's where we should kind of take the rest of the show is just finishing up with the Florida State game. I think we learned some things about this basketball team in this one beyond Fetty. I think we learned when the threes aren't falling – they they are smart enough to know that they can take it inside too, and and there was an awful lot of lane running there towards towards the end, and Jamarius Burton starts popping threes. You kind of get the idea that he's starting to get frustrated by being shut off from driving, and he almost wants to prove you better come out so I can get around you. <laughs> he needs to be successful faster if that's something he's going to continue to do though. And how about with popping the? And threes. how about Blake Hinson? Ties JB for a team high nineteen. He goes two of eight from three, and I wanted to stress that as the number one thing because he played through foul trouble again towards the end, but he didn't get flustered. Yep. You know, Blake Hinson wears his heart on his sleeve, and that's what I love about him. Yeah, he did not get flustered. He remained composed. A Blake Hinson from two months ago would have gotten rattled. He would have jacked some weird shot up, 
he would have he would have you know maybe made a bad pass or a bad turnover or fi- actually fouled out. Not this time. You know he held it together. Yeah. He was able to keep it in. And for me, you know, if you could get a Blake Hinson going, which he could be streaky at times, if you could get a Blake Hinson going, that just adds another layer. And if Nelly's healthy and kicking, he's another layer. And if Elliot's sinking his threes, he's another layer. You're seeing layers and layers and layers build upon this pit team. And the cool thing about it is that when one player succeeds, you know, the second player will come along and succeed, but that first player won't totally dissolve away. They're doing this in such a manner where they're building off of what is already there. Case in point, Federico. With, with JB and how they feed off each other, like we talked about in the first segment, where if JB's going to miss a three, Federico knows where to go for the rebound. He knows where, Fed, where, where JB is likely going to miss that shot. You know, when it comes to Blake, we saw Federico, by the way, back down <laughs> against Florida State. Yeah. I had not seen him play yeah. back to the basket that much. So that's a footnote to look at. Blake Hinson, he's, his ability to drive. If he's not sinking threes, he'll drive. JB, if he's not successfully driving, he'll shoot a three. Like you're seeing how these players are starting to open up their own games and it's only facilitating, you know, a better environment for everybody else. And it's just it's just resulting in better basketball for this team. They had one little nifty play that I, I really think you're gonna start to see them exploit a lot more. They had uh, Fetty come out, almost looked like he was gonna set a set a screen. Instead, he backed off. JB got blocked up, passes it over him, and just cuts the lane and, and gets that quick bounce pass from Fetty to, to just go in for the easy layup. Those kind of little set plays with Fetty, man, that's going to change their offense dramatically because it's always been one-on-one. We've said that all season long, one-on-one, one-on-one. If you can start turning those into two-man operations a little bit more, you open some doors in the paint. So that's exciting development for me too. I really enjoyed um, this basketball game, though. I didn't feel like anybody really got into a rhythm, but you know they did exactly what they need to do with a team like this. And I don't think they're a good matchup for Pitt. So um, I was worried about this one. The word I would use to describe the first half was clunky, and that comes from both ends. It felt a little rocky, a little clunky. It felt just a little out of sorts. And again, it came down for me to whichever team was able to put it together first. And Pitt obviously is a more talented team than this Florida State team. They have injuries. They have stuff going on. So I didn't have a gloom and doom thought about, oh, no, Pitt's going to blow this. But again, until for me, it was Nike who kind of took that game over, you know, with about 10 to play. I really didn't right. think, oh, Pitt's definitively going to win this, if that makes sense. No, it, it totally makes sense. And I had one more player-related question I wanted to ask you. Um, Nike Sabandi, I think, is kind of emerging as their secondary preference for ball handler uh, beyond JB. Would you say that's accurate, first of all? I, because I, I would. Th- I feel like it used to be Cumming, Cummings, and now I think it's more – Nike, they'd rather have in there running the point. Well, I think I think it's Nelly and then JB and then Nike. Actually, I see I see Nike and Nelly on the floor together, and I see Nelly handling the ball. 
But when JB and Nike are on the floor, JB handles it. I'm just trying to rack my brain here on, you know, the actual games that I'm at and watching. Because <laughs> as far as who's the best ball handler on the team, I think it just might be Nike. And that's not to disrespect Nelly or JB in the slightest, because I know they both can create and they both can facilitate. But They're both dominant-handed, too. Nike's kind of ambidextrous. He's, he can so. go either way. He's shifty. And I'm impressed. We saw it with North Carolina. We saw it today against Florida State. Just how quick Nike is and how athletic he is and how he's able to quickly change direction and get to the hole or get to a spot on three-point arc. I think his emergence is something that needs to be discussed because there's a quotient of, you know, if games like today where Nelly's hurt and he can't really play much, he only played, I think it was six minutes in the second half. And, you know, that stuck out to me. And I asked Cable about it and Cable revealed that Nelly's been battling injuries. So it makes more sense. But when you don't have your starting point guard out there for, 14 minutes out of the 20 to end the game, you need somebody to step up. And we saw Nike take um, just the next steps in that for him. So really cool to see. And again, more about the layers and, you know, what this team could do and how it could hurt you in different ways. It's good stuff, man. I I just, I think it's, it's been incredible to watch this season unfold. And at some point, I'd love a nice look back, I think, at uh, how they made the turnaround after the way this season opened. You know, we talked about how they were, they, they were late bloomers and came together late. should really go back and take a look at how exactly that turnaround started. I mean, we talk about Coach of the Year. That seems like the story of when, how it started. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting thinking about the way we were talking about this team at the beginning of the season versus now. When you go one and three, you got pounded by Michigan. I mean, it it felt like another year of just disappointment. You know, what is Cable thinking? All this stuff. And this team that we've talked about time and time again, they're veterans. They play for each other. They're selfless. They understand the big picture. They understand each other. They're learning about each other. They're willing to learn about each other. Again, that's a tribute to Capel. That's a tribute to coaching. That's a tribute to Heather Lake and what she's built at this university. So all good stuff all around. And we're looking forward to the last couple of weeks of the regular season and, of course, the uh, ACC tournament here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it's going to be a blast. I'm looking forward to chronicling it with you and looking forward to all of you. Uh, hey, if you like the show, hey, make sure you rate us on Spotify or Apple, man. It really helps. And uh, follow Corey and I on Twitter. I think that's where we probably interact the most with with everybody. Um, drop comments in the de- in the asylum. We we both try to make sure we answer them. We want to talk about what you want to hear about. So let us know if we're not covering the things you'd like to hear. And uh, without further ado, H two P.